Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder law and estate planning attorney Kevin Tharp and financial advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. We'll just do that then. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, that's a a very interesting statement, and it ties into a story that I recently heard from uh, a Major League Baseball player named Scott Rowland. He played for uh, the Cardinals. He played for the Toronto Blue Jays. He played for that little squad up there in Philadelphia. I don't know what you – I forgot what you call them. They show up every once in a while. When he didn't have anything better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) What was that? I didn't (laughs) – I don't know. Some little echo back there. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? Oh, found one nut for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Scott played for all these different major league teams, including the Philadelphia Phillies. And he was inducted recently into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. And he was talking about his parents were there and he was thanking his parents and his family. And he told a story, especially about what kind of impact his dad had on him. Um, he was it was one summer and he was at graduated high school and he was getting ready to go off to college and he was good at multiple sports growing up in Indiana one of them being basketball just you're you're born with a basketball in your hand if you're born in Indiana and Scott was a very good athlete uh, but he really his love was baseball and he had been focusing all year round including his senior year mainly on baseball and so he really hadn't practiced and he really wasn't in basketball shape um, and so when he was invited, he was still voted Mr. Indiana in basketball, and he was invited to play in this big tournament, all-star tournament, between the state of Kentucky and the star, all-stars from Indiana. And so he's getting ready to go, uh, and he showed up at camp, and he saw all these people that were taller than him and all these athletes from Indiana and Kentucky that were faster than him and, and you know could shoot jump shots and three-pointers from all over the place, and he – he said, I'm, I'm lacking behind in all of those skills. So he said, I, I, my dad and I went on a camping trip, and he said he asked his dad. He told his dad all this. He said, I see these guys, and they can outshoot me, and they're faster, and they're taller. And he, he said, so, you know, what do you think, Dad? And he goes, okay. That was Dad's response. He goes, what do you mean, okay? I'm asking you, what should I do? He said, okay. He goes, what do you mean, okay? Okay, well, what can you do? Tell me some things that you can do. He said, well, I can't outwork them. I can't out-hustle them. I can die for the balls on the sideline. He said, I can, I can rebound. He said, I'm good at free throw shooting. He goes, well, just do that then. And he said, that was the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. And so I decided that baseball was what I was better at. And so eventually when it came time, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do that then. And maybe I wasn't the greatest hitter, but I could work on it and improve my skills. I never played third base in playing baseball. He became one of the few third basemen uh, in Major League history uh, to be on the Hall of Fame and hit more than 300 homers. So focusing, just do it. Focus on what you can do rather than looking on what you can't do. So how does that tie into estate planning? Well, there's some things that we, I have, have learned as an estate planning attorney for over 35 years, there are some bedrock legal principles that if you just knew about them, you can just, well, why don't we just do that then? 
In fact, one of the most common things that I hear my clients tell me as we kind of wrap everything up is they go, why doesn't everybody do this? Because people focus on what they do know. Some people focus on uh, or down on what they're not up on. I've had many times people tell me, well, so-and-so lawyer said I don't need a trust, and they give all these various reasons. And I'm thinking, well, you can do that, but let's look at these benefits, and then they're like, well, let's just do that then. So what I want to talk about is let's just do that then. Let's just talk about what are the benefits of having a trust, but what are the steps you can take, all of us can take, regardless of how much we have or what we have or regardless of our situation. Because there's one thing that's going to happen to all of us. I call it the universal question that applies to everybody. What's going to happen to my assets when I die? And I've never met a person in my life that doesn't own assets, doesn't have wishes about what they want to happen to those assets, and I've definitely never met a person in my life that isn't going to die. So let's talk about the things that you can do so you know the answer to that question. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney. And today he's talking about do that then. And Kevin, I think a lot of times people don't know what the that is. <laughs> like Scott Rowland's dad, ask him, you know, what, what I want you, you to tell me what that is. Yeah, tell me what it is. We don't know what the that is. And I know that's something that you are very good about pointing out to people, giving them the that, the that's mm-hmm. to make and, sure they're making the right decisions. There. And most people know, uh, Scott knew what it was. He just needed somebody to confirm it. And needed to hear himself say, say it, it, verbalize That's exactly right. And so a lot of people, what I'm going to talk about is having a complete estate plan. And a lot of people know these steps. They've just never heard it where you have to coordinate them together, or they've never heard it put together in such a way that are explained, these are the benefits. Well, let's just do that then. Why doesn't everybody do that? And a lot of times everybody doesn't do that because they're not aware of it or ignorance. I don't know anything about electricity. I'm aware of it. I know that it causes when I flip a light switch, it comes on. I tried to fool with it at one point, and that's why I have really curly hair. You were made very aware of it. I was made very aware of it, and I also (laughs) learned I'm not going to ever mess with it again. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I wired the house such as that when you flush the toilet, the garage went up. So I was told, you're not going to be aware of this anymore. (laughs) But so what are those things in estate planning? that we need to be aware of so we can just do that. Number one, put your wishes in a legal document. That is very important. I think we're all aware and know that we can't just have these ideas about what I want to happen and who I want to get things when I die. We can't just say it verbally anymore. It just just doesn't work that way anymore. It's not going to accomplish. Well, I'm going to honor my father's wishes, and I'm going to accept that million-dollar bank account because that's what Dad told me he wanted. I hear that so often, and that's where the disagreements come in. So my recommendation is you put it in writing. Now, one of the most common types of writing that people are familiar with, I put my wishes in this legal document and everything will be taken care of, is a will. Okay. Well, the problem with the will 
is, and it's a very simple legal document. It requires your signature, two witnesses, and a notary notarizing what's called a self-proving affidavit. But a document alone is not enough. You got to have title because title is going to dictate what steps do or do not have to be taken after you die. And so you can't title your assets in coordination with the will. So therefore, a will not being a complete estate plan requires the extra step of probate to complete it and pass title. So that's why we recommend using a trust as the legal document, because it's a revocable trust. You can change the legal document, but it's set up while you're living. You can title things your home and other assets in coordination with that trust while you're living. So when you die, you have a complete estate plan and you can title any asset you own in coordination with that trust. And when I explain that to clients or our radio listeners call and we have a, uh, their complimentary consultation, they'll go, well, why don't we just do that then? Why have I not heard this before? Why isn't everybody talking about it? And it's because like I said, people are aware of it, but they just rather not discuss it. It just they'd rather just go the route that they're comfortable with. People are up on what they are, uh, know they're down on what they don't know. And so that's why we encourage you have a conversation and let's just do that then. Let's get our wishes and title coordinated together. And that's exactly what a revocable trust can do. And the first step you can do to start doing that is to reach out to me through my website, kevintharp.com. Retirement tax surprises, coming up next. Taxes in retirement. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, taxes and retirement, that, that that doesn't really correlate. Those things don't seem to go together. That's what we're assuming. All the years that people were working, and especially in the past, the assumption was you were going to make less money in retirement and you wouldn't be paying a whole lot in taxes. You'd be in a lower tax bracket. Right. So you're going to be rewarded for retiring by also not paying as much in taxes because you just don't make as much money, supposedly. Well, as it turns out, in today's world, in today's financial world and retirement world, people are making as much money or more than they did in retirement. And so it's an issue. Let's use Bill and Mary again. Bill, we, we talk about Bill and Mary a good bit. We pick on them a lot, but they're, you know, they're good sports. They're fictitious characters, by the way. They but won't we, write in to the but, show, right? But, yeah, but you can put just fill your own name in here because... Uh, a lot of us uh, have done similar things. Bill and Mary worked their entire lives and did an incredible job of saving money. They had 401ks. They had IRAs all over the place. They had brokerage accounts. They saved and saved and saved. Because one day they wanted to retire with a lot of money, what they considered a lot of money, because they had things they wanted to do during retirement. So they did meticulous planning with how much money they were going to save, how much money they were going to make with their investments during retirement, and everything seemed to be just right. They did it just right. They planned on trips. They planned on their ho- using, doing their hobbies more, golf, whatever else they, they were doing. 
they planned on this, and they planned to be able to financially address these things for as long as they lived, hopefully. Well, the big surprise was they had planned on all these expenses, all these things that they would be paying for during their retirement, but the one expense that they possibly did not think about or did not take into consideration or didn't treat seriously is how much money am I going to have to pay in taxes when I retire? And this is what people are experiencing today. So it becomes very important with our retirement, and as far as taxes are concerned, to understand the impact of sources of income during our retirement years. Because you're going to, most likely, most people have several sources of income. That 401k I was just talking about. That's part of your retirement plan. That could be part of your, your, your retirement income. And so you have all these sources there, just like Bill and Mary did. And maybe they started, you know, they, they started taking money from day one from Social Security. Naturally, they were getting their Social Security income, taking money from their investments and income. And really, it wasn't until that first year after they were retired that they get, start getting these 1099s in January. 1099s from these various custodians of your 401k, possibly an IRA now because you're retired, those sources of income, Social Security, you get a 1099 from Social Security. Anybody who is receiving Social Security, you you understand that 1099. Sometimes you don't realize that you're going to get one of these things, but you will every year. And Social Security, state, the tax statement just says that you made this much money in Social Security last year. That's your 1099 taxable portion of the income, that's up for grabs with Social Security because it depends on how much other money you're making as to how much taxes you're going to pay on Social Security. Well, Gary, wait a minute. I thought you didn't pay taxes on Social Security, right? I get this question all the time. People make that comment. Don't feel embarrassed to that you feel that way or you understand that because the world is full of a lot of bad information. A lot of this information now is old information. But I can tell you, in today's world, a great, great many retirees have to pay taxes on their Social Security. Matter of fact, more people have to pay taxes on Social Security than don't have to pay it, which it's a two-edged sword. It's a good thing in a way because it tells you you're making enough income to have to pay taxes. But the downside is you didn't plan on this big expense, or if you, if you didn't plan on this big expense, like Bill and Mary did, You've got some adjusting to do, and that adjusting may very well come into the form of the things you like to do in your retirement, the golf you wanted to play, the the mission trips you wanted to take, the hobbies that you have outside of that. So you wanted to do these things, and now because you realize that you really have a tax bill to pay on your Social Security and all your other income, that you're going to have to taper some of those activities that you had done maybe last year and had planned on doing in future years, it becomes a real issue. So taxes, taxes during retirement are very real, and they need to be addressed. We're talking about taxes during your retirement today on Truth and Planning, and I'm with my co-host Gary Anderson, financial advisor of Anderson Advisors. And Gary, that is, I've been around in my uh, industry, I've been around the periphery of your industry been involved a lot with advisors like you and other advisors, and that's what I've always heard when it comes to planning for retirement, and 
uh, savings in 401k accounts and IRAs is those are a good thing because one day when you do retire, you're going to be making less income. You're going to be making less. Uh, therefore, you're going to be paying less in taxes. But reality began to show me that it's not such a bad thing if I'm making about the same amount of income when I retire as I am when I'm working. That's not such a bad thing because I got more time now to do the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. But taxes are going to go along with that. Well, and one difference, too, all those years that a person is working, most of the time you're taking withholding taxes. As a matter of fact, you pretty much have to as far as if you're a W-2 employee, you're going to be withholding taxes for Social Security, your Social Security benefits, for one thing, and also to pay income taxes on the income that you made during your working years. You did that. You had withholding, so you took that out. So you didn't really see a lot of tax impact because you had already paid the taxes by the time you got that W-2. You had done it just all along. So by the end of the year, if you paid any taxes at all, it might have been really minimal because you put enough into your withholding not to do that. Sometimes people tell me, well, Gary, I didn't pay any taxes last year. And you see where they made $85,000 in their retirement retirement income – And then you say, well, how did you not pay taxes? And sometimes it's because of the planning they did, but a lot of times it's because they had withholding and they put enough into it that they didn't have to pay additional taxes when they filed that tax return. So it is an issue. People have this happen. You can plan your retirement income in a way that you're impacted less by taxes if you do it early on, if you plan for this during and leading up to your retirement years to be able to pay less money in taxes because of choosing the amount of money you take from particular sources to make sure that your Social Security isn't taxed quite as much either. And so that's important. A financial plan that you do for retirement should include that. In the past, there's been times where I've seen advisors that really didn't take that into consideration. I think most advisors now understand that taxes are and can be the number one expense you have during retirement, and so you plan for that. With the planning tools that we have, we can plan on the amount of money you're going to need to to have for taxes in Social Security, but also to be able to plan on using sources in such a way that you're not front-loading all these taxable sources of income like your 401k, because remember this, every single dime of that withdrawal from that 401k, maybe now your IRA is going to be taxed. But you have possibly other investments out there that aren't taxed to that extent. Sometimes taking your, going through retirement and making sure you're minimized the taxes involve mixing the income a little bit more from those instead of taking all the money out of your tax-qualified retirement plans like 401ks early on and getting hit with this huge tax impact, then you spread it out and do things a little bit differently to where you're minimizing taxes as much as possible. That does take planning. It takes some serious planning, and you've got to be able to do this in a way that you understand the outcome. And this is why you plan. This is why you do a retirement plan, and we help people do this. So if you, if you need help doing or you need an opinion on it, just give us a call. Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what do I do with the documents I have. 
What do I do with the documents I have? I'm Kevin Tharp, Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, Financial Advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, a very important part of having a complete estate plan are documents. You might recall uh, me talking about the importance of a complete estate plan, that there's literally a legal, that is a legal phrase, that is a legal definition of what a complete estate plan is. And it involves two steps. And step number one is put your wishes in a legal document. Now, that legal document can be a trust. That legal document can be a will. But there's also some other important legal documents. It might be my wish that these individuals help me if I make health care decisions and talk to my doctor in the hospital if I'm unable to. So I need a document called a health care power of attorney, or some people call it an advanced directive. It may be my wish that I not be fed through a feeding tube or that I not be resuscitated if I fall into a terminal condition as defined by Georgia law. That's why you have a living will, or again, some people call it a advanced directive. And so it's important to have documents. We uh, definitely recommend and that for our, and do that for our clients. The primary document, uh, of course, that we provide for our clients is a revocable living trust. And when we prepare these documents for our clients, and then we take the second step of helping them coordinate title of their various assets in coordination with that document called a trust. And then we put all of those documents together for our clients, have them sign them, and by the way, we always have our clients sign in blue ink so they know what the originals are because copies now are so high quality that if they're in black ink, it's hard to tell the difference between an original and a copy. So we always do it in blue ink, and that way you know what it, what the original is. And we put everything together in a notebook for our client. It has tabs. This is where your trusts are. This is where your wills are. This is where your powers of attorney and health care power of attorney and financial power of attorney and living will. This is where you can put your deeds that show your home is titled in your trust. And it puts it all together, and it organizes those documents. And usually we do that, and at the last meeting, we have a wrap-up meeting, and usually this question comes up at that last meeting. So what do I do with these documents? Oftentimes people say, should I put them in a safety deposit box? What do I do with these documents? And I always tell my clients this, put them someplace where you can get to them and let others know where you've put them so they can get to them without any extra steps. And that's why I'm not a big advocate of putting documents in a, a safety deposit box, simply because access becomes so important when something happens to you and you or your loved ones may not have access to those original documents. The bank may be open, uh, may be closed, it may be a holiday. God forbid we're in another period like COVID where for months we couldn't get to the bank, even go in in person. So we recommend to our clients, keep them in your notebook and just keep them in a safe place in your home. Well, should I make copies and give copies to my family and children? We don't recommend that. Because when you make copies of these documents, keep in mind that all of these documents, including your trust, is revocable. So that means you can change it. So if you have this individual as a trustee 
and you decide your oldest child is the trustee and you decide you want to make it all of your children, you can change the document because it's revocable. By the way, you can't do that if it's an irrevocable trust. Hmm. You can't make those changes. So you can make those changes, but then you've got to pull all the copies back because the copy you gave out three years ago is no longer valid. That oldest child thinks they're still the trustee because they've got copies of the document you give them. So we don't recommend giving copies to your children because you can always change your mind. We don't recommend giving copies of your trust, your entire trust, to your financial advisor. Why? Because they don't need to see it. They don't. It doesn't matter to them who your beneficiaries are. That's really actually none of their business because you can change that document. But the biggest reason we don't recommend that you give it to financial advisors or uh, your kids or your CPA or your bank or the closing attorney is when you give your entire trust to a third party, you lose attorney-client privilege. You may not be aware of it, but you waive one of the highest levels of protection you have with your estate planning document, and that is attorney-client privilege. Because if there's ever any an issue with that document, then all of a sudden that person, that financial advisor that reviewed it with you or kept it on file is now a potential witness for you or against you. And so we don't recommend what to do with your documents. Don't make copies of them and give them to the give them to third parties like financial advisors or closing attorneys and others. You're listening to Truth and Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors, and my co-host Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney today, is discussing documents. And Kevin, documents rule our lives. Everything is a document now. This thing about trees, saving trees years ago, forget that. That's a myth. Yes. Every financial institution, every company, every institution in general is creating more paperwork now than they ever did, and it takes some management, and it also takes an understanding of it as well. And what documents you're signing and what documents you're providing. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to a trust, don't give your entire trust to a third party. In fact, over a decade ago, Georgia legislature reformed, updated the trust code. And it was about time because they hadn't made any changes to that in 75 years. <laughs> okay. They're real slow when it comes to changing things like that. But they did make a change. And one of the changes they said, so that you don't have to give up attorney-client privilege by giving a copy of your whole trust, there's a Georgia law. 5312-280 that says you can give them a certificate of trust or an affidavit of trust. And that certificate of trust is simply a summary of everything your financial advisor, financial institution, your bank, your CPA, your the closing attorney needs to know. The name of your trust, the date of your trust, the owner of your trust, the trustee, the backup trustees, when did the backup trustees take office? And what do they have to do or what can they do in regards to, I want to sell a piece of property. Can the trustees do it? I want to open up a bank account. Can the trustees do it? And who signs on those bank accounts? 
So in our trust certificates, we provide all of that information that complies with exactly what the statute says. And therefore, that's all you need to give them. In fact, the Georgia statute says that if a third party insists on you giving them a copy of the trust, then they can be held accountable and responsible for what's in the trust. And they can even be held accountable for court costs and attorney's fees for making you have to do it. They can be held accountable for the consequences of what happens if you don't give it to them, like you don't open up the account. And so now it's real important if you understand that all you need to give them is that certificate of trust, that's all you have to give them. We've got clients that call on a regular basis that want us, hey, we're closing and the closing attorney wants a copy of the whole trust. Why? Because their title company says that. Well, I don't care what the title company's policy is. I follow the law. I advise my clients on the law, and the law says all you have to do is give them the certificate of trust. So what do I do with this trust document I have? Make a copy of the certificate of trust, and you're the best source in providing that copy to those third parties rather than calling us to do it because you have your notebook. Why? Because you put your notebook in a place where you can get to it. Coming up next, Roth IRA taxes. your Roth IRA and taxes. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Well, Gary, I always thought that IRAs equal IRS. There's no way around the tax consequences of having an IRA, but apparently there's a little bit of an exception to that. Well, there is an exception, Kevin, and uh, it's a nice gift that's been given to us several decades ago now, but the Roth IRA is that gift. Because if you do it right, if you accumulate it right, and if you pay the taxes that you need to pay to create this Roth as far as taxes using after-tax money, then anything you put in this Roth, anything you accumulate in the Roth IRA, and there are also Roth 401ks available for a lot of different companies. So if your employer has one, be thinking about that. And I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. The 401k actually has a Roth option that will help you not have to pay so much in taxes when you retire. That's a great tax tool that you're doing early on. This is a decision you make early on to possibly even have your 401k, your traditional 401k, that it's before tax money, so you're not having to use that money for, you're getting a tax break with it, but eventually you're going to have to pay taxes own the money you take out of it, but then you also have the Roth now, and it could be a balance of that, the Roth, which you won't have to pay taxes on. You've accumulated the money, everything that you ever accumulate going forward, there are no taxes on any of that money when you take money out. So why am I talking about, and somebody asks this question all the time, wait a minute, Gary, Roth IRAs and taxes, that doesn't, that doesn't equate. You don't pay taxes when you have a Roth. 
You don't pay taxes when you take income from Roth. Well, you could. You might make a mistake. And if you make this mistake, there's a good chance, there's a couple of mistakes you can make, there's a good chance that you're going to have a tax surprise when it comes to this Roth. So planning with this is so important. It's so important because the last thing in the world you want to have happen is to have this 401k that you've accumulated money with over the years, the IRA that you have, a tax-qualified plan that you know you're going to have to pay taxes from. And so the Roth should be a balance to that, a counterbalance to it that you don't have to pay taxes on. But timing is essential, especially when it comes to Roth conversions. Because you can take funds, if you, have, if you don't have a Roth at this point, you can take funds from your IRA, your traditional IRA, and convert those funds over into a Roth. And the important thing to remember there, you're paying taxes, but you're paying taxes on the amount of money you're converting. So if I decide to take $10,000 out of my traditional IRA and convert that to a Roth, I'm going to pay the taxes right then on that. I'm going to pay the taxes then, but it keeps me from having to pay any taxes on that $10,000 when maybe it accumulates to $100,000 at some point in time. I'll never pay taxes on it, but the conversion has to happen at the right time. The worst thing you can have happen is to convert your funds over to a Roth or convert some of your IRA to a Roth, and then find out that you need some of those funds sooner rather than later. You have to remember one thing. Once you make the conversion, you can't really touch the money in that Roth for five years. Same, same rule that applies when you, start, when you set up a Roth. You can't really touch it for five years, and if you're below 59 and a half, you can't really touch it or don't want to touch the money out of it until you're over 59 and a half, Again, another timing issue because if you're taking money out of before out of that Roth before that age, you're going to pay a tax on it. Then you got a tax penalty to pay. So timing is very critical, or your Roth winds up being a taxable event. The five-year rule with that is very, very. It, it's it's absolutely something that's been in effect since day one. The IRS follows that very closely. If you've taken funds out of it before the five-year period then you're going to pay taxes on something you never intended or never even planned to pay taxes on um, in the first place. So that's one of the reasons. Conversions and the five-year tax rule can get you in trouble as far as a Roth goes, and you wind up paying potentially taxes on something that should have never been taxed just because you made decisions and made a couple of tiny mistakes that actually result in a pretty big mistake going forward during your retirement years. We're talking about the Roth IRA and taxes in retirement today on Truth and Planning, and I'm with my co-host Gary Anderson of Anderson Advisors. And Gary, that's one of those things that kind of ties back to uh, one of the previous shows you did about decisions you make today has an impact down the road in retirement. And Roth IRA sounds like a good thing, uh, but you got to be careful. And mindful because that decision you make could end up costing you down the road. And Kevin, I would say anybody who is considering this, do this first. Talk to an advisor. Talk to an expert in this area who can help you make the conversion the right way, convert to a Roth, and also help you use the funds from that Roth IRA going forward 
to make sure you're not having to pay taxes on a lot of other sources of income as well. Just a little bit of planning here can go a long way and save you a massive amount of money in the future if you do this thing right. And that's what we as advisors are here for. That's what your financial advisor is here for, to make sure if you're converting to a Roth, then you do it the right way. Just a few little checks and balances will help. Will go a long way to assure there won't be any taxes involved with that. And that takes me to another issue too, Kevin, as far as required minimum distributions go. You don't have to take required minimum distributions from a Roth ever. As long as you've set it up right, as long as you've waited the, the appropriate time period, you're never having to take any money out of that Roth unless you feel like it. If that Roth is a part of your overall retirement income plan, yes, you're going to be using money from that. And But you're also going to, at some point in time, if you have this traditional IRA, which most people have, you're going to have to start taking money from that. And that is called the required minimum distribution. Anybody who's age at least 72 or over now, and a lot of people 70 and over from the past, have to take their required minimum distributions. Now at age 72, you have to start taking it. Uh, it will turn to age 73 in a couple of years, so you don't have to start taking it until then, and eventually age 75 will be the standard there. So it depends on what age you are as to how much or when you have to start taking your required minimum distributions now. And that's a good thing. You can take money prior to that. Anytime over 59 and a half, you can take money from your IRA, and but you don't have to. You can wait until age now 72 to have to start taking anything, but you can take it before if you need to. Don't, keep, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking it's locked up forever because if you're over 59 and a half years old, you can take money out of it. might not be the best place to do it because it's going to be taxed. But by age 72, you're going to have to start taking it. And when you do, that's a big tax surprise for people. You planned on this money in your IRA. You planned on possibly having to pay taxes, but you never dreamed you'd have to pay the kind of taxes you're paying on it because of the amount of money you're having to take out of it. Mm -hmm. Kevin, it's not uncommon for me now to see a married couple having to take $100,000 a year from their IRAs. And they don't even want the money. They don't need the income, but they're having to do it. So you can just take that $100,000 you're having to take from those IRAs, add that to your to other your other income, including Social Security income, and you're going to be paying a lot more taxes, on, not on that, but everything else you have. That's why planning is important. There are ways to mitigate that. There are ways to help reduce the amount of money you're going to pay in taxes during your retirement, and to let them reduce the amount of money that you could pay, amount of money in taxes you're going to pay on Social Security, and potentially those required minimum distributions, the money you take out when you have an income plan put together. And Kevin, we enjoy doing that. It just takes a phone call. We don't charge for a consultation with this. Sometimes a 30-minute call on the phone, a conversation on the phone can make a big difference in your planning going forward. So give us a call. Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. 
Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson nor Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show. Thank you.